Wonderful. I'm going to be continuing on the series we, are, we have been looking at in 1 and 2 Thessalonians um, over the last little while. Um, we're in 1 Thessalonians at the moment, and I'm going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, the very start of that, and looking at what it looks like to be holy as Paul speaks into a very specific circumstance. This message really comes off on the back of what Ken brought a couple of weeks ago um, about spiritual warfare uh, and about the battle against the enemy, and also what Sai brought last week about Paul being comforted by uh, the believers' faith and earnestly desiring them to be even more in love with Jesus and to walk ever closer with Jesus. So we're going to keep going from there, and we're going to start with 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 2. If you've got a Bible, great if you could turn there. Over the last couple of weeks, we've really sort of encouraged um, if you have a paper Bible to bring it, because it's really great because you can jump sort of around a little bit easier. Um, But if you don't have one, don't worry, it will also be on the screen. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. We're just going to pause there and we'll carry on with the rest of it for the main bulk of the sermon. But I just want to bring a a little summary of that small section uh, beforehand, specifically on the back of what Cy brought last week, um, that Paul wants the Thessalonian church and all churches to grow more and more in love with Jesus, to be more and more productive, to be more and more uh, full of the Spirit. He wants there just to be an overflow of God's love through the church. And Paul, again, encourages the church in Thessalonica to keep going, to keep pushing forward, and to keep walking in a way that pleases God. Paul uses fathering language throughout this letter and so many of them. I think his love for them is so evident. I think we've seen that over the last few weeks, that he has pride in the work of God in their lives, a healthy, good pride. We've heard Paul using the phrase, you are our glory and joy. The lives of the Thessalonians and their understanding of the gospel that was given to them for Paul is Um, not just a matter of pride and enjoyment, but a matter of duty. There's something in his heart that resonates when he sees them growing and walking. He is full of like fatherly pride, but also it's like, yes, I've done my job correct. There's something about, I'm I'm not a parent, but I've heard parents speak about that sense of seeing their children go on and do good things. And it's not just I'm proud of them because, you know, it's good. It's also like actually there's a sense of accomplishment. Look, we we have brought them up well, and because of that they have grown into all that God has for them. There's a real sense of duty in that. And in the same way, that's the case for Paul. Paul says that presenting those believers to Christ at the second coming, it's an integral part of his Christian hope. He says that his crown, they're his crown. Crowns were given to winning athletes. Part of Paul running the race looks like Paul bringing those Thessalonians with him and running the race with them. What the Thessalonians understand of the gospel and their walk with God in being holy is connected to Paul. Salvation is not separate and it's not individual in that nature. There is a corporate nature to salvation. And this is especially true for for leaders 
who we're told will be judged more harshly and held accountable for those that they have inputted into. So in the last chapter, and that's, I want to give that background because when we talk about the next section and Paul goes into some specifics about one topic, this is all on the back of Paul's joy and pride in them walking in God, but also his duty that he says to them about these things because he knows that he needs to because otherwise he will have been found wanting in his duty. So in the last chapter, Paul has described what sort of pattern of behaviour the believers should follow. And now he turns to direct exhortation, or either known as sort of, do this, don't do this. And he goes into specific topics. So we're going to go in with the first one this morning. So if we keep going on to the next bit of scripture. Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body, her own body, in holiness and honour, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know of God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gave his Holy Spirit to you. Over this passage, Paul is going to bring a, uh, some caution and verification of truth to the Thessalonians over a number of issues. He's going to talk about family life. He's going to talk about living peacefully in a community. Uh, and he's going to talk about the coming of the Lord, uh, which I'm sure we're all looking forward to. I chatted to someone the other day, actually, and I said, oh, I'm talking 1 Thessalonians 4. And they said, oh, you're talking about the coming of the Lord. And I was like, no, we're not quite there yet, <laughs> but you've got that to look forward to in a couple of weeks. But he starts with this topic of sex, holiness, and sexual immorality. And some of you might have been hearing that passage. You might have groaned inside. You might have gone, oh, I'll be honest, I'm not sure I came to church this morning for a sex talk. <laughs> Um, Some of you may have groaned and gone, actually, I don't really want to hear this because I know that this sits in an area that's really difficult for me, Um, and that's fine. I want to just speak openly and honestly into this this morning, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to break some chains as well this morning. Let's start with sexual immorality, because that's where Paul starts. He starts at the topic of sexual immorality and holiness and seeing those as two opposite things. But firstly, what is sexual immorality? Well, sexual immorality, uh, which comes from the Greek word pornea, from which we get the word pornography, um, it is, in this context, it's sexual acts and behaviours, that's important, acts and behaviours, that take place outside of the sanctity of Christian marriage that is between one man and one woman who stand before God and their community and declare their commitment in covenant to one another for the rest of their earthly lives. I'm just going to repeat that. It is acts and behaviours that take place outside of the sanctity of Christian marriage that is between one man and one woman who stand before God and their community and declare their commitment and covenant to one another for the rest of their earthly lives. I just want to do a little um, sort of side here that if you're listening to this this morning and actually sex is a really difficult topic for you, because you have a really negative experience um, of that, and maybe that's something that's come from 
sexual assault or indecency or even rape and things like that, I just want you to say that this is a completely different situation. We are not, that's not what we're talking about this morning. If you were a victim of that today, I want you to say that you are not immoral, you are not dirty, you are beautiful to God. And he loves you dearly. And he wants you to be free of the immorality that was put upon you. So when I said that description, if you think, well, technically that's me because something happened to me, that's not you this morning. And I, want, I think God really wants to break some chains and bring freedom to those areas, but I want you to know that that's not you this morning. You may be listening to that sort of list, and you go, well, actually, one of those resonates with me because, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm doing something that is outside of that situation, and that's a personal decision that I've made, and either I don't want to, or actually, I don't see the, the problem here. Why does God care? And we're going to talk about that today, but there's a huge list of those things that fall under that category. It's a large list. And that's going to be different for each person, whether that's lustful thoughts about other people, whether it's adultery, which actually Jesus says is lustful thoughts, but in terms of full-blown adultery, whether it's pornography and problems with that. All of those things are going to be slightly different. And so I'm not going to be able to go into each individual thing today, um, but maybe just spend a second, just go, Holy Spirit, Spirit, is there something in my life that falls under that category? Or if you know it is, then as I'm speaking, maybe direct it towards that, that area. All right, sexual immorality. I think when I was thinking about this um, as sort of an introductory thing, my main thought was that, and some of you may be thinking this, if you're not Christians here today, for something to be immoral, for there to be immorality, there must be morality. For you to say something is wrong, there has to be some sort of objective truth that says that this is wrong. And the Bible says that that is God. God, the creator of all, the father of all, the sovereign Lord who is spoken about in the Bible, he is the standard of morality. God is truth, he is justice, and he is love. We've sung that this morning. He is the moral standard. And what he sets is the moral standard. What God puts forward to humanity is this. If you want to live your best life, a life near to me, whom all goodness flows from, this is what this life will look like. This passage is about holy living as a Christian. Your sex life doesn't affect your salvation. Your salvation affects your sex life. And this is not a tape measure by which we, as Christians, hold to society to judge it, to enforce it, to demean or bring condemnation on non-Christians who live a different life. It is God who judges. But within the church, for those who hold to Christian ethics, yes, there is a standard. God sets a standard, and it's a standard that was bought with the blood of Jesus on the cross. So it's something we need to take seriously. What I'm going to talk about today is what God says is the best thing for your life. And if you hear what I say this morning, and you say, I don't want that, okay. But I want you to hear me out fully. And actually, if you don't agree with what I'm saying, please come and grab me afterwards. I'd love to have a chat with you. I'll be raising some different theological views that have moved away from 
possibly the orthodox perspective, and I want to say why I don't think that fits with Paul's writings, or more importantly, what Jesus says about love, sex, and marriage. So there's going to be a lot to cover in what is a very short amount of time, but hopefully I can do as justice as I can. Firstly, is sex bad? Is sex bad? No. Christians should not be anti-sex. I don't want you hearing what I'm saying and going, oh, here we go. Christians, yeah, they're all a bit prudish. They hate sex. That's not true. God doesn't make mistakes. God didn't get to the garden and go, oh, no. I've made sex pleasurable. I've made it enjoyable. They're going to want to do this thing. That's not what God thinks. God loves sex. In a loving marriage, sex is amazing and wonderful. Sex is supposed to bolster a marriage, encourage a marriage, strengthen, provide a place for intimacy, and from that love and intimacy may come children. There's a reason why in the Hebrew, often you hear the word as that they knew their partner. She knew her husband. He knew his wife. It means they were having sex. It was a deeply connecting, beautiful thing. But as I heard over there, it needs to be in the right place. I've heard it before as an analogy of sex being like fire. Fire is amazing in a fireplace. It's wonderful. I don't know about you. Like, as a man, I love building a fire. There is something about it that just makes me happy. When we used to be in a, a life group with, with Dave and Erica, they had a fireplace, and I literally, I would just be like, I'd sit, I'd sit there, and it would be my, my job to put new logs in, and it makes me really, really happy. So fire is a wonderful thing. It warms the house. It warms you. It's incredible. You can cook things on it. It's great. You know where fire's not great? Outside of a fireplace. It needs to be in the right place, and it's the same with sex. Sex inside the right place is wonderful. But outside, it can burn and hurt and scorch. And that's why God gives the directions that he does. And this is, if, if you don't know Jesus this morning, you haven't heard the gospel or received the gospel, this is where you might get stuck. Because who gets to say where's the right place? Who gets to say this is acceptable and this isn't? Well, the Bible's clear, it's God who does. God gets to say that. And all that we speak about this morning will be from that perspective, from that situation, that the Bible is objective truth and God has given it to his people for their growth, for their encouragement, for their challenge. Wonderful. So, why does Paul address this? Why does Paul look at this specifically? Well, the Bible is written sort of mainly with two people in mind. It's for the people that Paul is writing to in this situation. It's the Thessalonian church. So he's got a reason for writing it to that. But also, there's something that the Holy Spirit has done in flowing through Paul that means that what he writes is for us as well, as the New Testament church 2,000 years later. And so there are principles for us as well that God has put and kept. Well, for the first one, why does Paul write this for the Thessalonians? Well, some scholars say that it's because Paul is speaking into a situation in the Thessalonian church 
that there's some issue of sexual immorality, either husbands and wives, or maybe it's a master and a slave due to the language of wronging a brother. Others say that Paul is he's being saturated, living in Corinth with all of this uh, sexual immorality where he's living, where Gentile, Gentile believers are backsliding in this key area, and he's writing to warn the Thessalonians to make sure that they don't allow themselves to fall into the same traps. Either way, it comes from Paul's concern for the Thessalonian church to walk holy lives. Paul, as I've already mentioned, is concerned that the church remains to grow and remain healthy. So that he is doing, so he, because of that, he's doing all that he can to make sure that the same mistakes aren't made in this church as they were in Corinth. And for that church and for us today as well, sex is one of the key stumbling blocks for Christians in their walk with God, along with money and power, as we saw in our last series in Corinthians. There is something about those three areas that whispers into the heart of humanity as they're each trying to replace that God-shaped gap in our hearts and saying, this is what will make you happy. This is what will fulfill your life. And they each give us that buzz that actually should only be from the spirit dwelling and living inside us. That's why it's so dangerous. And that's why Paul speaks about it specifically. It's why he starts with it when he speaks to the Thessalonian church. So that's why Paul looks at this. But some of you may be asking, why does God care? You know, why does God care what I do with my body? It's just my body, right? I'm not hurting anyone. That's what we hear time and time again. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone, that's fine. I can do what I want. Some Christians may tell you this. They may say, you know, actually, God just wants you to be happy. He just wants you to love however you want. And sexually, well, that's just kind of the same, isn't it? Because, you know, love and sex, they're identical. But that's not what the Bible seems to say. The Bible seems to say that God cares a lot about what we do and what we don't do with our body in sex, or with our minds in sex in that way as well. So, I've just got three points to look through on this one. Why does God care? He cares about his, his image, which is us. He cares about us and our lives, and he cares about his church. Well, firstly, he cares about his image. In that passage we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 8, it says, whoever, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We are made in the image of God. It is his image that we hold. So when we sin with our bodies, we are sinning against God. But we're also distorting the image of God and using it for sinful purposes. We're taking something that is meant to be holy and set apart and making it sinful. And God is a jealous God. He is a holy God. He's pure and cannot have sin near him. And if you're in Christ today, the idea of bringing sin into our lives that have been made pure by God, by the Holy Spirit, should really make us feel Revulsion. 
I was trying to think of an analogy for this, and this is quite sort of hard-hitting. But the thing that came to mind was the idea of why we find the idea of child soldiers so revolting. It's because there's an innocence that has been torn away. There's a dichotomy. Children should never have to deal with those sorts of things in war. Something about when we see it on the news of children involved in war zones that just breaks our hearts because that innocence and that purity should never be near that horrifying situation. And that is what it is like, that's what it should be like as Christians, as we, as pure, holy people in Christ, sin. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't think when I sin, I think about it that seriously. But I'm starting to think maybe I should. Maybe I should be more serious about, you know, I just say, oh, I've just mucked up there. Well, no, actually, God says, be holy, be pure. It's the story of humanity from Adam and Eve right to us. Adam and Eve in the garden. And the serpent says, you know, God says this, but that's not true. God says this, but you will have more. You will be like God. You should just do what you want. You shouldn't look to reflect what God says. You should just do what you think. And from that, all sin comes. And from that, death enters the world. So God cares about his image. God cares about us. He cares about you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body, his or her body, in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Why doesn't God want you to do whatever you want sexually? Is it because God's a spoil sport? Is it because God's a killjoy? He just doesn't want you to have fun because he doesn't like fun? He doesn't get us, you know. No. God cares about you deeply and wants what is best for you. It's clear throughout Scripture that sin leads to broken relationships, broken relationships between us and God, us and other humans, and also within ourselves. And when it comes to sex, it is no different. As I said before, sex is like fire. If you aren't careful with it, it will burn you. That is the truth about sex. Culture wants to tell us that we, we do what we want with our bodies, that it doesn't really matter. It's freeing to forget about the physical, that God doesn't care what you do. What feels good must be good. And that is very similar to the world that Paul's writing into. The cultures are very similar. You know, culture swings like a pendulum. Culture goes from orthodoxy and you must do this, and it goes on the other side, which is everything's permittable, everything's fine. And over the last 2,000 years, we've gone like this multiple times. It just happens at the moment we're sitting here. And you know what? God doesn't sit over here. 
He doesn't sit with whatever you do is disastrous and you can't do anything correctly. He sits right in the middle. The Bible is the plumb line. God's love and justice is the plumb line. He says these things are permittable in these situations. They bring love and joy. But over here leads to peril and damnation. And over here is the same. It's a lie that God doesn't care about us. And because of that, he lets us do whatever we want. And it's a lie that we can do what we want and there be no ramifications. You look at the world that we have in and decisions made by men and women, society, politicians, celebrities. I think it's very clear that just because something feels good or you want it, doesn't mean that it is or you should have it. Adam and Eve eat the fruit and they immediately feel shame, they immediately feel fear, and they hide. And that's the truth about what sin does in our lives. I just want to tell you my testimony. This is a real, real subject for me. This is a real, hits me deep. And the reason is because about the age of 10 or 11, I started watching pornography. And it was something I hid, and it got worse through my teenage years. And it got, what I was watching was worse. And it became, the shame inside me was worse. And it changed me. It shaped how I viewed relationships. It shaped how I viewed expectations. It shaped how I viewed everything. And it was addictive. It is addictive, highly addictive. Pornography is there to stimulate your brain cells to release dopamine. Now, within normal sort of sex in marriage, what that looks like is different. The same neurons fire, but it's a different thing. Within pornography, it is meant to be addictive. It is it's exactly the same as drugs in that way. And when I started having relationships, it meant my brain often moved into that sexual space because it had been programmed by what I had seen. And it led me making really stupid decisions with friends that I had, girlfriends, people who might have been girlfriends if I just let it progress naturally instead of being stupid. In this day and age, we have, like, the digital communication, the digital things at our fingertips are so dangerous. And young people, I really want you to hear this. Like, genuinely, that phone in your hand, that communication you're having with someone constantly may not always be healthy. And that's the case throughout all of, all of us. When something is at our fingertips like that, it is really, really dangerous. And then I started having, you know, relationships. I had a couple of relationships with Christians. I was chatting to girls, and I was like, you know, and we fell into sin. Stupid things happened. And you know what? Every single person who that happened with, they also had a problem with pornography. And it got to the point of just a really, real low, me just breaking down. And I remember being sat on the edge of my bed, and I've told this to the young people at Youth Retreat this year, I remember being sat on the edge of my bed uh, with a Christian friend next to me and just sobbing, sobbing into his shoulder, and just being like, I can't do this, I can't control myself, I hate myself. And just that point of guilt and shame. 
And I really felt like, you know the parable of the prodigal son and that point where he's sat just feeding the pigs and he's just eating the pig swill himself? That's what I felt like. And this isn't something that doesn't bother me anymore. The temptation is there. It's the thing about addiction. In the same way, if you are a recovering alcoholic, to a certain extent, you're always a recovering alcoholic. In the same way, the addiction is there. Like the, the, the temptation is there. And every day I have to lay it down and put the sovereignty of God on it. And that might be the case for people here today. Maybe that's something you've been struggling for years and you've never spoken to anyone about it. I want to say God wants to bring freedom to you this morning. He wants you to be free of that area. Anna's word earlier was so specifically, I was like, yes, that's really good. Maybe this is a part of your life that you have held away from church, from God. Maybe you've thought, you know, God won't love me if he knows these things about me. Firstly, can I just say God already knows. He knows everything. But God wants you to have freedom. He wants you to lay those things down. Christianity means, and being a follower of Jesus means laying down those things before the cross. And that doesn't matter if it's sex, if it's stealing, if it's lying, if it's gossiping. We all have something to lay down. We all have multiple things to lay down before the cross of Christ. And let culture will lie to you. Culture is lying to you and saying, you know, oh, we can't, we can't ask people to give up what they want to do sexually. Other things maybe, but not this. This is the one thing. It's their identity. It's what they live by. No, the Bible is clear. Your sex life is the same as any other part of your life, and it comes under the sovereignty of God. And so if that means that some people choose to live celibate lives because the attraction that they feel, God says, actually, if you act on that, that's not good for you, then you, lie, you lay it down. If you're with your partner, you're not married yet, and you're like, well, maybe we, could just, maybe we could just have sex, God says, no. If you're not married, that's not what's there. You lay it down. And the only thing that tells you that you can't lay that down because it's too big a thing to do it is culture. It's not the Bible, it's not God. So God cares about his image and he cares about, his, he cares about you, his people. And finally, God cares about his church. 1 Corinthians 6, from 12 to 20. It's just a really incredible passage, but just to pick out a couple of bits because I don't have loads of time. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And, the Lord, the, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up in his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I, then, shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. It doesn't, you know... Doesn't hold his words back, does he, Paul? <laughs> Flee from sexual immorality. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? God cares that his church is pure, his church is spotless, 
and his church is righteous. The church must be seen as holy because the image, because the church is God's image to the world. You are, as you walk and you live your life, God's, people see you and they see God's glory, they see God's heart and mercy, that even men and women like us, sinful men and women like us, can reflect the glory of God through Christ in his righteousness. That's why we need to be holy. That's why it breaks God's heart when we see, you know, time and time again in the last few years, Christians falling short of that. You know, pastors who are, you know, high, high pastors, known people, and are seen to have actually just been having what they want on the side, whilst also standing at the front and saying, this is how you should live your life. And I say that as someone who really struggles with this stuff. And that's why I want to be honest. Like, I don't want to tell you, like, ah, oh, this is what you really need to do with your life. Of course, I would never do that. I want to say that God tells me to be holy, and I, I really struggle. I need to live that life, and it means daily, like, lifting my cross, dying to my old self. And the church must, seem to be as, the church must be seen as holy, but the church must also be seen as loving. The church must not be a place of judgment, of shame. If people walk in and they are struggling in this area, the church must be one that loves, that gathers, a place that people can admit when they're struggling. And the church must be united. Sin causes division and mistrust. God doesn't want that for his church. God wants unity. Okay. Just got a few points of um, practically what can we do in our lives? What can we do in our lives? If you're here and you're going, cool, I understand now, or you know, maybe I already did to a certain extent, um, God really cares about this. This is a really important issue. Um, and actually, I've got some things to change in my life. What does that look like? Well, sexual immorality in the church. Firstly, I think it looks like accountability. It looks like walking day-to-day with people, specifically in discipleship, when we look at having smaller groups that we meet with and we share with and we do life together, you know, whether it's in a life group or those smaller discipleship groups that we have, and being just completely honest and accountable. I think something that we've lost in the Western church is that idea of confession. I think even as I say confession, you might be thinking that Sai's going to sit in one side of a booth and you're going to walk in and go, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And Sai's going to make a little list. Um, that's not what I mean by confession. It's being accountable to each other and saying, actually, you know what? This area is an area that I really struggle with and I want you to be asking me how I'm doing. I give you permission to speak into my life. And you know what? If I dodge that question, don't let me. Because we're all very good at it. We could all move a conversation where we don't want it to go. I'm a king at it. You can, you can talk to me for ages. You know, Sai is great at this, actually, of pinning me down. There are times when Sai, I've not done a job that I'm meant to do, and I've moved a conversation on, and Sai goes, oh, yeah, what about that thing? And he knows exactly what I've skipped out of the conversation. Be like that. That's a good thing. When it comes to accountability, if you do it in love, not judgment, um, which is how Sai does it. Um, so, yeah, discipleship and the Holy Spirit. Accountability to the Holy Spirit. Keep close accounts with God. If it means daily getting on your knees and laying down those things, laying your soul bare, do it. Secondly, removing shame. 
We need to remove shame about sexual immorality in the church. And what I mean for that is we don't say it doesn't matter. What I mean is we don't fall into the trap that culture has, but like a mirror reverse. So in culture, sex is seen as, as the God. Without it, you have nothing. Your identity is not valuable. In the church, we fall on the other side of the fence and we try and make it out that sexual sin is in its own little category and it's the worst. And if you do that, you are much worse than someone who has done X, Y, and Z. And because of that, we create a sense of shame that is unhealthy. When we don't talk about these things or when you know, we make little snide comments here and there about how people live their lives, it makes it worse, and it makes it that people can't be accountable. People feel shame. I'd say there are two big areas where we have that sense of shame at the moment, and that is sex, and that is mental health. The amount of times where you hear of people not being able to speak about how they're, that they're struggling in terms of sexual sin or in terms of mental health because there's that person who just goes like, oh, you know, just need to, you know, man up, sunshine, don't you? Just need to grow up a bit creates a sense of shame and grief. And that's the case in when it comes to sexual sin, and we need to make sure that we don't fall into that. Thirdly, reading up. Firstly, in the Bible, we need to be reading um, God's word, where he says the truth about our lives, that actually he has good things for us, great things for us, that he loves us dearly, and the love that he has is way beyond any sort of sexual love that we will have from another human being. And because of that, if you have to lay things down, that's okay because God has got an amazing, amazing thing for you. Those are the sorts of truths. If you're living and you're struggling with sexual sin or you need to lay things down because you actually are living a way that's not according to God's life and you say, how can I live, give this up? It's because God says he's got something better for you. And also back on the thing about removing shame as well, the church needs to be better in that way as well. If we're saying as a church, you know, you need to live a celibate life, because actually that's what God has said for your life, but we're not inviting people around, making sure they're part of our family, making sure that they've got someone to be with at Christmas, at New Year's, on bank holidays. If we're not doing that, we're messing up big. Because we're saying, you know what, you can't have that family, but we're not giving you something that's going to replace it. We're not giving you something that's worth fighting for. Don't fall into that trap. And then resources of other things. I'll be, I want to be completely honest in this one. I read that top left one when I was young, and I found it incredibly helpful. I will be brutally honest with you. I have not read the bottom two, strangely enough. Um, and I actually haven't read the top right. Um, I haven't got to that one. Um, silly young man, you see. Um, but no, so... You know, I can't say that those three specifically, I'm not going to say they've got the Owen stamp of approval. All I'll say is the top left one was really helpful for me. So maybe those ones might be helpful for you guys as well if you're struggling in this area. And then fourthly, just to finish, keep walking. Do not get caught up in the guilt and the shame that you cannot move on. Do not be still here in two years' time going round that circle, having not moved on, saying, oh, I really should talk to someone at some point. If that's you this morning, be honest, be open, talk to people. 
couple of weeks ago, we were at a, um, there was a prayer meeting here, and Ken said, um, I think it was Ken, said about time, um, we're going to have a time of confession in small groups. And you know what? That's one of the first times that I had shared to specific people. And it's actually what brought into mind from, for this talk. I was in a group with Paul Heisman and Rob, and I said, guys, I'm brutally honest with you. I'm still struggling and tempted by pornography, and it is really difficult. And they prayed with me, and it was amazing. I felt that just that weight of shame lift off as they went, yeah, no, I get it. I completely get it. Be honest and open. Keep walking. Don't get caught up in it. Don't get tripped over by either the enemy whispering in your ear and saying, oh, they're never going to accept it. They're never going to accept you. Once they know it, they'll look at you differently. I've had that. The amount of times that I think, that you, like after this, someone's going to come up to me and go, I thought you were a great Christian. <sighs> definitely. I've definitely had that fear. I've had that voice in my ear that after today, none of you are going to look at me the same way. That's definitely happened. Smash what the enemy is speaking into your, into your ear and let's go forward. Can I just get everyone to stand? God wants you to be free. He wants you to be holy. If you are a Christian today, I want to tell you that what God has for you is incredible. That the joy of Christ is better than anything else. That God has got wonderful things for you. And if you are struggling with sexual sin and feeling trapped, that there is freedom, that God is going to break chains, and that he has got a plan and a purpose for you. For those of you who have been maybe sinned against sexually, God is an avenger. For people who are, have done that to you and have not fallen on his mercy, there will be judgment and that will come and that will be right and just. And you can have freedom from that. You can have freedom from that thing that is sitting in your stomach or in your heart. And he's calling you as hard as it is to forgive that person. That doesn't mean saying it was okay. That doesn't mean forgetting about it. It means not letting that sit and eat at your heart anymore. But also, if you haven't spoken to someone about that, forgiving doesn't mean that we don't go through the official channels. So if someone has sinned against you in a way that is, you know, sexual sin or has broken the law against you in that way, talk to someone. That is good and healthy and right. And maybe for those, as a third one, for those who've been, I've been speaking, you've been feeling, you fall into the category of, actually, you know what, I've judged, I've judged people without looking at my own sin. The church needs to be a place of love and acceptance where anyone can walk in, no matter what their background, and be told, God loves you. There is a hope and a plan and a future for you in Christ. Should I like to ask the band to come up? If any of those three things speak to you this morning, if you've been struggling with sexual sin and you feel trapped, if you've been sinned against and you, you really hurt, or if maybe you think, actually, you know what? I've really been doing a lot of judging and I've not looked within at my own sin. 
any of those things sort of resonate with you, I just want to give this time to allow the Holy Spirit just to fall and just resonate in your heart. I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't call us and then get surprised by our mess. You call us despite our mess. King Jesus, as you were there on that cross, you were there for every single sin, past, present, and future, that we were going to commit. And you knew, and you did it anyway. Because of that, we want to lay down those things that are getting between us and you. We want to be holy as you are. We want to enjoy all the things that you have for us. Lord, I lay down all those things in my heart. All those things of my flesh that I struggle with. Lord, I lay them down again. I want to be holy as you are holy. Holy Spirit, help me. Amen. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, and maybe, you know, you've been hearing about this and you've been going, actually, either I don't know if I can give up these things. Is Jesus really better than these things? I want to tell you he is. He is so much better. And if you'd love to learn more or give your life to Jesus, please come and grab me or Sai or one of the elders or someone who's brought you, Christian who knows God and just chat to them further about this amazing king who is worth giving down all of our lives for. Let's just spend some time in this place. Let's draw close to God. And let's just be reminded again of his wonder, his majesty, and his love for us. Thank you.